And our Father and our God, we worship you with all of our hearts. We want to praise your holy name. And as we think, Lord, of those songs that talk about expressing it with all of our heart, we think of, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And now we acknowledge 10,000 reasons to let our hearts praise you. Lord, we are full. I pray that in the grace and mercy that you have given to us, we would in turn not live for ourselves, but for you, the one who died for us and rose again on our behalf. Help us to understand your word. May your Holy Spirit speak to every heart according to our need. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, I have changed the sermon subject this morning. Uh, We have been going through the book of Ephesians, and today's portion of Scripture was, Wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives. I was praying that there would be a small crowd (laughs) for such a message like that. I wasn't actually praying for that, but I thought, you know, maybe it's just as good that no one's here when I preach that message. But to be honest with you, I got so excited about what God was saying, and in, in it's such a positive message when we truly understand this scripture that I thought, well, I just need to wait another week until the rest of the congregation is here. So uh, we are doing something a little bit different uh, this morning. I have a pastor friend who once told me it is a sure sign someone is carrying a full bucket when their feet are wet. And the last time we were together in the book of Ephesians, we talked about being filled with the Spirit. And it is a sure sign that you are filled with the Spirit when there is spillage of the Holy Spirit coming out of your heart and it is evident on your person, the way you walk, the way you talk, there is evident outward expression of the fruit of the Spirit, which is indeed an evidence that the Spirit of God has gotten a hold of you. Uh, To just review from a couple weeks back, we mentioned in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And when you are filled with the Spirit, there are uh, these words that come to us and declare what that will look like. For instance, in verse 19 of Ephesians 5, we will be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Probably in the context of worship, but spiritual communication to edify one another, to share the truth of the gospel. Secondly, we will be singing and making music in our heart to God or with our heart to God. Either one is accurate. There will be a joyful melody within as we praise God when we are full of the Spirit. When we are full of the Spirit, we will, according to 5.20 in Ephesians, give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of Christ. And the last is verse 21 We will, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, submit to one another because we fear Christ. Out of reverence and respect for Christ, we will submit to one another. So those are outward signs. That's the water on the boots. 
evident that we are filled with the Spirit and the spillage of the Spirit's character is evident in your life. Which leads to this question, if someone were to look at the way you live, would they recognize that you are filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, as I study the scripture, uh, we come across an individual who is mentioned as a spirit-filled individual. Therefore, I think if we would examine this person's life, we might be able to find some things that would encourage us in this very practical uh, uh, task of, of answering the question, how then will I live when I am under the Spirit's control? So turn to the book of Acts, chapter 6 in that wonderful portion that Cam read to us, Acts chapter six. And we actually want to look at the life of Philip, who is one of the seven chosen to help the church in the midst of a challenging time of organization, or the lack thereof. It's interesting to get the context of what is happening at this particular time. The church is growing, verse 1, in those days, the number of the disciples was increasing. Remember, Pentecost took place in Acts 2, and 3,000 were saved. In Acts chapter 4, it talks about the message going forward with power, and 5,000 were believers. And so uh, these numbers are estimates, probably not including everyone, and the word continued to have positive effects so that many people were coming to Christ. The church was growing by leaps and bounds. But there are growth pains, right? When an organization or family quickly grows, there are challenges, and it was true in the church as well. So in those days, when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, the the Grecian Jews are Hellenistic Jews. Uh, They spoke no Hebrew They were deeply immersed in Greek culture and lived abroad most of their lives. But they returned to the city of Jerusalem in their final years because they wanted to be in that holy city during the last portion of their life. There was an abundance of widows because women normally outlive their husbands and so the church committed to care for the widow indeed was doing their best to make sure that food got around to everyone who needed it. But because they were in the minority, somehow the Grecian Jews were being overlooked. That's the word in verse one. They were not giving their rightful share, it appears. Now the Hebraic Jews, those who spoke Aramaic and Hebrew, the Hebraoi as they were called, indeed were in the majority, and they often were resentful for people who were coming in as refugees and immigrants. Sound like a modern problem? And they were somewhat resentful because they felt that this was their land and their place, they were here first, and the people who were coming were just causing the problem, and so there was discrimination. 
The Pharisees held the Grecian Jews in contempt and called them second-class citizens. And so because of this situation, they were not getting their rightful share. But something happened. These people came to faith in Christ. And once you come to faith in Christ, you are supposed to die to self and lose prejudice, right? Right. That's what's supposed to happen, but you and I know that it's not easy. That old feelings die hard. And so there were issues in the midst of the church. The answer was then, verse 12, the 12, or verse 2, excuse me, the 12, gathered all the disciples together and said, it's not good for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables or to serve. The actual Greek word is the Greek word for deacon. It's not right for us to serve tables. And some people would say, oh, you're too good to save ta- serve tables. You, you anointed apostles are just too good to do any work. No, they didn't want to be distracted from the work they were called to do. And this is one of the greatest temptations in the pastorate, is that we can get so busy doing good things, we neglect to do the best things, which is described in verse four, to give ourselves to the ministry of the word of God and to prayer. So verse three says, brothers, choose seven from among you, seven men from among you, who are known to be what? What's number one requirement? Full of the Spirit. This is for servants, not just for pastors. This is for anyone who would hold an office in a church. Very appropriate for us as we are on the cusp of having our annual service where we're voting on people to be in positions of service and leadership. It's important that they be filled with the Spirit. This proposal, verse 5, pleased the whole group. Great idea. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Porcurus, Nicanor, and the rest. So Philip is mentioned second, and he fills the qualification of being full of the Spirit. And then the second uh, kind of expanded uh, version of qualifications in verse 5, he was full of faith and also full of the Holy Spirit. Now when you get down to uh, uh, verse Eight and following, there is great persecution that comes into the church, and because of that, the church is going to be scattered. But here is this guy named Philip. What can we say about him from the get-go? That he is willing to serve, and he's concerned about justice. One of the things that is interesting to me is that the seven names that were, chain, cho- that were chosen to serve in the position that we call deacons, they're never called deacons here, but again, the Greek word is there describing the fact that they are to serve. One of the interesting things about the seven that were chosen is that they all have Greek names. Now, the problem was between the Hebrews and the Greeks. The Greeks were in the minority, and to deal with the problem, they chose leaders from the minority group to help justify and to balance the injustice 
that existed. It's very interesting in our own day where we have prejudice between groups that we be sensitive that the leaders often come from the smaller group, the persecuted group, instead of the group that's in charge and the group that is the majority. In chapter 4, the devil tried to stop the growth of the church by getting the Jewish authorities upset. And so there was persecution and they tried to restrict the church, don't teach anymore in the name of Christ. In chapter five, the devil tried to corrupt the church from within. That's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. If you can't restrict the church from the outside, then what you need to do is try to corrupt the church from the inside. And when that didn't totally upset the church, you now have the problem of chapter six, the battle among the saints, and now the devil is trying to distract the church. He doesn't have to restrict the church with governmental laws. He doesn't have to corrupt the church from within. All he has to do is get us distracted by doing good things instead of the best things. And many churches have given themselves over to social work, which is a good thing but they have neglected the best thing, which is to tell the good news about Jesus Christ. So this church, early church, wants to keep things in balance, and here is Philip willing to serve. That's a humble position. He's willing to deal with the issues at hand and get his own hands dirty. He's willing to give himself to serve tables, even though he's got some great spiritual gifts. And the one qualification of all of these servants is that their character be impeccable. And it's noticed that the dominant characteristic is this thing of the Spirit of God. These are laymen, not professionals. G. Campbell Morgan said many years ago, a man full of the Holy Spirit or a person full of the Holy Spirit is living the normal Christian life. Fullness of the Spirit is not a state of spiritual aristocracy. It's not a position that only a few can attain. Anything less than the fullness of the Spirit in a Christian's life is a spiritual disease and will infect the church. Being filled with the Spirit is not abnormal, but completely normal. And if South Church wants to be effective, it depends on you being under the control of the Holy Spirit and letting the fullness of the Spirit in your soul spill out on your life and touch others. And one of the great marks is that you are willing to serve, to take a lowly place. This was not a high-profile job. You're not being asked to be one of the 12. You're not being asked to be part of the inner circle. You're asked to serve in a rather basic and humble way. But he did. The second thing I notice about Philip is found in Acts chapter 8. So let's jump over there and notice that there was increasing persecution in the church. And we read, this is after Stephen who was one of the seven, was martyred. And the Apostle Paul, who's not yet the Apostle Paul, was called Saul. He was persecuting the church. We read in Acts 8 and verse 1, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, 
and everyone except the apostles left town. They were scattered throughout Judea, which is the area around Jerusalem, and Samaria, the area of further north. Look at verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria, where he proclaimed Christ. Now, I'm not going to deal with this chapter a lot because this is the chapter we use almost at every baptismal service, but let me just give you kind of a brief outline of what is happening in this chapter. They are sharing the gospel in two ways. There are two different Greek words that describe preaching the gospel. The first one in verse four is a word that means to share kind of one-on-one. In fact, one of the best paraphrases I've ever seen is to see the phrase gossiping the gospel. Wouldn't it be great if the gospel were shared as often as gossip is? Hey, have you heard? Man, do I, I know something juicy. (laughs) And you've got all kinds of listening ears until you tell them, hey, we're all sinners, but Christ died for our sin. And that's what they did. Everywhere they went, they gossiped the gospel. And then the word preach that is found in verse 12 in my NIV translation is a word that means to proclaim like a town crier standing up in front of others proclaiming the truth. And so you've got sharing the good news and proclaiming the good news. And Philip does both of them in this chapter. He shares publicly He was led by God to go to Samaria because of the persecution, and he preached the good news. We read in verse 12, they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and of the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized. So you've got him preaching the message of Christ, people believing and are being baptized, and they're filled with joy. They rejoice when they have the message of their sins forgiven. Now, the last part of the chapter is that story we talk about often in baptism, where Philip now is going to share the gospel one-on-one. So he does it publicly and he does it privately. He's led by God, just like he was to go in Samaria, now to go out into the desert. By the way, this, there was a revival taking place in Samaria, and the apostles came to help Philip had led the revival, and now he took a back seat when the apostles came to help. That's humility. And then in the midst of the revival, he listened to the spirit who said, now I want you to go to a desert region and talk to someone one-on-one. And he was humble enough to do that. So now, here you've got a guy who is willing to serve in a humble place, and he is willing to go to whatever place God tells him to go to share the gospel. One of the marks of being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5 is that you speak to others about the good news of Christ. And one of the marks of being filled with the Spirit is you want to tell others the message of Christ. And by the way, he does the exact same thing privately that he did publicly. He shares the message of Jesus, this time from Isaiah. People believe and are baptized. Well, one the Ethiopian eunuch, and he is baptized at the end of the chapter, and it results in joy as well. Verse 39, the end of the chapter, the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. 
So here's a group of Samaritans that were hated because they were half-breeds. Here's an Ethiopian eunuch who had his issues as far as entering into the society of that day. Coming from Africa, having a high position from a queen of another region, and yet he himself never quite fit in anywhere until he heard the message of Christ and he believed with all of his heart. So one of the marks then, if you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, is that we share the good news of Christ. When is the last time you told someone about Christ? And you don't always have to go through the full message. You're just putting in a word for Christ. When's the last time you've done that? Maybe it's because although we have the Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit doesn't have all of us. We're something less than filled with the Spirit. When we are filled with the Spirit, we serve others in need. We're concerned about justice. And we are concerned about the gospel message getting to those who have never heard. And then there's one final thing I notice about Philip, and this takes us all the way to chapter 21, Acts chapter 21. So Philip was willing to serve, and in that role he was like a deacon. He was willing to go, and in that role he was a witness to share the good news of Christ. And now he is willing to help out. And here... He is sharing as a friend. This is 20 years later. He's up in years. I don't know how old he was when he was chosen to serve as a deacon. But if he would have been about 30, now he's into that middle age area. He has settled down instead of being an itinerant who went from the city of Jerusalem up to Samaria and then he worked his way to the coast and worked his way on up to the city of Samaria. He now lives there. And we simply read about him showing hospitality to the Apostle Paul. The story is about Paul being arrested and on his way to Rome to stand before Caesar. But when he gets to Caesarea, this is verse 8 of chapter 21, leaving the next day, Luke, the author, says, we... Paul and their party, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, who is called the Evangelist. He is one of the seven. So that takes us back to chapter six. He's one of the seven. It takes us back to chapter eight because he is an evangelist. And notice it says in verse nine, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And that is that they were in a teaching ministry also sharing the gospel of Christ. But what happened was the Apostle Paul stayed at his house. Here he is displaying compassion. So you've got justice being part of being filled with the Holy Spirit, and you've got a burden that the lost hear the gospel, and now you've got compassion for your brother in need. That's a mark of being spirit-filled. There are some portions of scripture that maybe didn't mean as much to me when I was growing up in the faith un, uh, until a time like today. Uh, 
I was converted to Christ over 50 years ago. And I started preaching not long after I was converted. Actually, it was probably a year or two after. And there was a portion like Psalm 92 that I read when I was young that maybe didn't stick into my heart like it does now. This is Psalm 92, verse 12. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree and will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of their God. Here's the thing that gets me now, verse 14. They will still bear fruit in their old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. He's still at it. He's still working. Now, you may say that 50 is not an old age, but I'll tell you this, it is amazing to me that as people grow into their retiring years, they're very quick to stop working. And it seems to be the exception of someone who has persistence, of someone who wants to make their latter years count instead of coasting they want to count and that's what Philip is doing a ministry of hospitality a ministry uh, to the apostle Paul who again is being treated in a very unjust fashion and so this becomes a great question for us this morning what kind of compassionate friend am I to those believers who are in need What kind of burdened soul am I to those who are lost and have never heard the gospel? Even though they may be mistreated by society, hated like the Samaritans, ignored like the eunuch. And where is my concern for justice for those who are not receiving it? The mark of the Holy Spirit is that we're concerned in all of these areas. When I talk about being filled with the Spirit, I'm not talking about being filled with the Spirit once. If you'll remember, back in Ephesians chapter 5, that command is in the present tense. Keep being filled with the Spirit. And that command is given to us in that perspective because you and I often lose our fullness. We often get distracted. We sin. We lose our focus. And maybe the filling of the Spirit in the morning that we enjoyed is lost by noon, and it's another thing altogether by the evening. So we have to keep praying, Lord, take all of me. We need the Holy Spirit in the normal activities of life. Every Christian needs to be filled with the Spirit simply to accomplish the activities and the calling that they've received from God. It's true of pastors. It's very easy for a pastor to simply go through the motions and not be committed to seeking the Holy Spirit and his control. I like what one pastor once said, writing in his journal, He said, I've had a terrible week this week. I've not been able to prepare. So I'm going to have to depend on the Holy Spirit when I preach. But Lord, I assure you, this will never happen again. 
<laughs> well, what he meant was the lack of preparation will never happen again. But what I heard was, I'm going to have to rely on the Holy Spirit. This will never happen again. Oh, that God would make us so humble that we realize without him, we can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. And why are you here today? Because you and I need to be reminded that it's not by might, it's not by power. It's totally by his spirit. Heavenly Father, we have talked about being filled with the spirit and now we see a practical example in the life of a layman who was a servant, who was a witness, and who was a friend, who was concerned about injustice and concerned about lostness and concerned about a person in need. So Lord, give us those same attributes because the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. May we be willing to go anywhere, to speak to anyone, and to do anything that will advance the cause of Christ and touch lives so that they will turn to you for forgiveness and mercy and help. Lord, make us like Philip. Father, I pray today that this would be a church filled with the Spirit. Not that the building is filled with the Spirit, but that every believer is filled. And then we can see your work advance in amazing ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.